I've always been a little fascinated by superheroes. I never liked the comics much, but I do like it when superhero characters are made into live action movies. And one of the things that makes superhero characters interesting is that while they have these incredible powers and abilities, their creators always build into them some weakness for dramatic effect. That way, the bad guys at least have a fighting chance of making the movie interesting. Now, in Superman's case, we know his overt weakness. It's kryptonite. But how many times can you work that into a script without it becoming very repetitive? But if you've seen the second Superman movie in the series in which Christopher Reeves played Superman, you'll recall that Earth was visited by General Zod and two other supervillains from Krypton who wanted to enslave the planet Earth. Superman and these three supervillains fought, but because all of them had relatively equivalent superpowers and were thus pretty much indestructible, it turned into a stalemate. But then the villains realized that Superman had a weakness that they could exploit. General Zod said, this Superman is nothing of the kind. I've discovered his weakness. He cares. He really cares for these earth people. Like pets, I suppose. What a sentimental idiot. And so the bad guys realized that they could get Superman to back down and surrender by threatening to harm the people because even Superman couldn't stop all three supervillains from harming the people at once. Jesus doesn't have superpowers. In a purely human sense, his physical body and his physical powers were completely ordinary. That's why we call Christ's incarnation the divine condescending, because he lowered himself to experience the frailty of the human condition in every way but sin. That's why Jesus could suffer and die on the cross, because he was not superhuman. But Jesus does have supreme power. He's also the second person of the Trinity. We saw this in the readings the last couple of weeks. He calmed storms and he cured illnesses. He even raised the dead. There is nothing beyond his command. All of creation obeys him. Not because he has superhuman power, but because he has ordinary divine power. If we look at the gospel reading today, we see that Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, and he is rejected by his own people. But he expects this because he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his native place and among his own kin and in his own house. And then immediately after that, the gospel says, so he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So what does this mean? Why is Jesus not able to perform miracles apart from a few healings in Nazareth? Because like Superman, but in a different sense, Jesus' weakness is us. It was the lack of faith that Jesus found that prevented him from working miracles in his hometown. Not because God absolutely cannot work a miracle in the face of unbelief. God, after all, is not limited by human opposition or credulity. But because he loves us so much that he is willing to respect our free will. 
as our creator God endowed us with the capacity to choose, to love or to not love, to follow the truth or reject it, and to do good or to do evil. God could, I suppose, commandeer our actions or overwhelm us with overwhelming proof of his power and presence. But to do so would not be loving. It would violate that which makes human beings the image of God in the first place, our reason, our free will, and our capacity to respond in love or not. That's why when the people of Nazareth rejected what he taught in the synagogue, Jesus performed no miracles. The people did not have the faith to receive miraculous signs in the proper spirit, which is love and adoration, not shock and awe. Yet the gospel passage does mention that Jesus was able to cure some sick people by laying hands on them. And this is critical because even among the Nazarenes, there were some who were open to Christ, the sick. We know from the canticle of Zechariah in Luke's gospel, God shines on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. Go to a hospital or a nursing home sometime and marvel at the faith that you will see there. Some cynics will call it wishful thinking. But we as Christians know that it is God giving out his grace to those who are most in need. All of us as Christians have certain gifts to share with the world. We are called to share in Christ's prophetic ministry. And it can take many forms. It could mean seeking an office in the church, such as priest or deacon or catechist. But it could also mean something as simple as reaching out to those who have fallen away from the faith, amongst our family or our friends or our neighbors. Yet in discerning how we are called to share our faith and continue the mission of the church through the gifts and the charisms that we have been given, we will also become aware of our weaknesses. If you can't think of a weakness, that's your weakness right there. St. Paul said that having this weakness, his thorn in the flesh, which prevented him from becoming too proud of his status as an apostle, was in fact a gift. Scripture scholars and historians, even forensic psychologists, have struggled to figure out exactly what it was that St. Paul was talking about. He never reveals what this thorn in the flesh actually was. Yet he does tell us that in time he boasted of this weakness, because through it the power of Christ, and not the power of Paul, was able to shine forth more fully for those he sought to convert. I think this relates in many ways to what we have been talking about. For many of us, our weakness in, as prophetic voices in sharing our faith is, in essence, other people. We're too afraid of what other people might think, too concerned about our own dignity and honor, too afraid of being rejected, too afraid that in sharing our faith or in speaking up for the truth, we will be judged as Jesus was by his townspeople, for they knew his humble upbringing. Or worse, for us, unlike Jesus, when we speak, people might know about our sins or our own imperfections or our own failures to live the faith properly, and they will judge us for it. But we cannot let this dissuade us. Like St. Paul, we have to turn this thorn in our side into a strength. And the good news is that we don't have to show people that our faith makes us perfect, only better. We're not selling people a political candidate or a new cell phone. 
We don't have to gloss over the challenges and the difficulties of living a Christian life or sell ourselves as a perfect example of the finished product. Indeed, our Christian faith, by its very nature, is, is embracing an understanding of our own imperfection, our need for a savior, our need for continual conversion, not just once, but as an ongoing journey towards holiness, marked by repeated confession and repentance. Because more and more, I think people of all types are ready to recognize that there is no easy path through this life. And we can thus explain to people why our Christian faith is rooted in the cross. We cannot escape suffering, but we can embrace it. A faith that allows us to make sense of suffering and of our own weakness and of our continual need for repentance is actually, I think, in this day and age, very appealing. And to share such a faith with others, it's important that we exhibit humility. By that, I don't mean the kind of false humility that would suggest that perhaps what the church teaches is not really true, but rather the kind of humility that recognizes that we as Christians are often imperfect messengers of the Christian faith, that often we don't articulate things very well or very compassionately or very invitingly. And recognizing, too, that for various reasons, what might seem crystal clear to us is not always so clear to others. Just think how often somebody perhaps has tried to explain something to you that they understood, but you were not able to grasp. To speak prophetically requires great humility. Ezekiel, Moses, and the other prophets were humble men who often resisted God's call to them precisely because in their humbleness they did not think themselves equal to the task. And they were right, they weren't equal to it. But by God's grace, they were made sufficient for the mission that they were given. In the city of God, St. Augustine boiled the basic difference between the city of man and the city of God down to one thing, humility. The leaders and the inhabitants of the city of man are filled with pride those of the city of God, with humility. And no matter what else we do, we cannot wear the crown of virtues unless we put on humility. As our Lord said to his apostles, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just so the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many.